everybody, welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. We're going to wrap up today before we air our Friday long form episode tomorrow morning. Welcoming in back straight from the eucalyptus tree with his eucalyptus tea, our friend the koala. Koala, welcome back. Trevor, good to be here. Lots happened since uh, oh. we capped off 2022 with the shrub. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you remembered you felt like uh, gold wasn't going to have a good run in 2023. That's kind of what I remember taking away from that conversation, Koala. Yeah, win I, some, lose some. <laughs> I had to. I had to. <laughs> However, uh, what you were right about in that conversation back with uh, Shrub Capital is there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about the industrial metals complex, the big boys, the global big boys. Uh, I'm pretty sure we talked a little bit of M and A. So this is something absolutely hit the nail on the head here. We could spend an hour or two talking about big mergers and acquisitions within the resource space and mining across the board. We're going to try to do that another time and really focus this conversation specifically on the tech and Glencore uh, (laughs) uh, news, I guess you could say soap opera. Uh, You know, let's just, let's put it this way. Koala. I love that. Mr. Norman Keevil came out and said to the Globe and Mail not too long ago that, quote, Canada is not for sale, end quote. (laughs) And three, four hours later, Tech is telling Bloomberg News that post the EVR spin, Tech Metals would be open to potential deals. (laughs) Okay. How do we, how do we, how do we look at this qual? How do we kind of observe what's happening here as investors? So I think there's a couple uh, important points um, to kind of set the stage because what we're kind of witnessing is a play with a script and certain roles that kind of have to be um, expressed. So I think, first of all, the UK is very strict uh, M&A rules. Um. I think it's very important to note that Gary Nagel, the CEO of Glencore, has not said best and final. And if you go back and look at how when Glencore was sending unsolicited proposals to Rio Tinto during the Rio Tinto sale of coal and allied to Yan Coal, uh, Glencore actually did send an improved offer. And that coal and allied deal eventually did happen with Yan Coal and Glencore joint venturing the asset. So I think it's very important to recognize that Tech is going to say no, um, and we have to see what the um, final, best and final offer is, or bid, sorry. Um, But everyone has a role to play here, and part of that is now we've heard tech, we've heard Canada's not for sale. We've had some shareholders come out publicly and say they don't want Glencore to buy tech. Well, I suggest we look at the share prices because Canadian business culture, as I've been told by a few folks when I meet with Canadians, I come across as very direct and confident, bordering on arrogant. Um, I like to just say, you know what, when I'm confident and I'm right, I'm just going to be direct about it. But uh, business cultures around the world are incredibly different. And in my personal dealings with Canadian in the business in business, they're overwhelmingly polite and diplomatic. And I suspect 
Many who've known Mr. Keeble for years are saying, we support you, we're there for you. Well, let's actually go look at what's happened. Um, I just did the calc 20 minutes ago, and tech is trading at, call an 8% discount to the current Glencore bid, the Class B shares, to be clear. Mm. Well, whether we believe Glencore, that it's one year to close this deal, or tech, which says two years, risk-free money is about 5%. So if I was to be playing this merger arb, I need some sort of premium beyond what I would get buying T-bills, uh, where there's theoretically no risk. Um, so when you back that all out, it looks to me like the stock is based, tech stock is basically trading where it should be for the current Glencore bid. And dare I say, it's actually trading through the bid, implying that a better bid's to come. So if you're a fund manager and you have feel fiduciary responsibility to your investors, which your job is to make money, unless I forgot the whole point of generating returns, is the market is saying the Glencore deal is a good deal and there should be a higher bid and this is the deal we want. If you don't think this deal is going to happen, um, why aren't you selling your tech shares? Uh, recognizing Norm Keevil's going to kill this deal and we're going to go down either the EVR road or the status quo, uh, where you don't get the $5 billion of synergies Glencore has talked about or the $20 billion of more hypothetical re-rate from uh, creating a pure base metals company and a pure old 20th century carbon company. So for everyone who's saying, so everyone who's saying, uh, what people may be saying diplomatically, the market is telling the truth. And the market is saying that investors want the Glencore deal at improved terms to where Glencore is first proposed. But let's see. The the vote is in two weeks for uh, the EVR spin. So, okay, let me butt in here because I think you summed it up very nicely is there's a lot of moving parts or there's a lot of players in this mix. From Class A, Class B shares, Glencore, and obviously the entire Canadian uh, business ethos of how they do business. This, that's also in play here. But I want to ask you, kind of take a step back here, and I want to ask you about the timing of all this. Before Glencore is even a part of this picture, when tech announced the spin out from of its coal operations away from tech and then building what would be tech metals. I was, my thought process was, well, they're setting themselves up for an acquisition to where they could sell tech metals and have the economics from their coal assets, but not actually have the coal production. And so for me watching that deal is like, well, they're just setting themselves up to be acquired. It's right there on the table. So the timing is what, what's striking me is why would does Glencore want the coal asset as well? Does they they want the whole package before the spin out? Is that likely? And then if they didn't want it, why wouldn't they just wait for this spin out to be complete and then make a move? Because Glencore is a group of commodity traders and traders value optionality. And what is Elk Valley Resources but a call option on? steel making coking coal or that's <laughs> coking coal beyond 2030 um 
Now they've changed it today to three years minimum term on the royalty from five and a half years. But the simple math is Elk Valley is a call on the long-term tail of Coke and Coal. Do we take Coke and Coal out completely uh, by 2050? Or is this more of a 2100 situation? So if you're Glencore, um, yeah, you can get the next five and a half years, three years by buying tech metals. But the reality then is you don't get the real value in these Coke and Coal names, which is in the tail, because at the multiples and Coke and Coal names trade at roughly the same multiples as thermal coal. I mean, we're not talking like Coke and Coal's 10 times and thermal coal's three times. Coal is coal if you're a devout ESG, no coal at all investor. Simple as that. And so what Glencore values here is the potential to have a coke and coal business paired with a high energy thermal coal business and a decent sized coke and coal business out of Australia too. And if you go look at it in 2022, when thermal coal prices were very, very high, yeah, thermal coal would be the majority of the EBITDA of call it Glen Coal. But if I look at 2021, the thermal and coking coal EBITDAs, if you look, would have been pretty split. So what you have is as the thermal coal goes into rundown, the coking coal become a more dominant part of the business. And the Elk Valley is an exceptional asset with multiple decades of reserve life. And it creates a really nice company. So that's why they want it. And they want it this way. Otherwise, what are you going to do with, I mean, let's just call EVR what it is. It's a greenwashing exercise. Um, because Glencore wants, because tech wants to expand its shareholder base and step away from coal. But if you actually look at the tech metals portfolio and its pipeline of growth projects, they actually still need the coal free cash flows to uh, fund all of it. The net debt of tech resources today, as of December 31st, was about Canadian 5.9 billion, which is US 4.3. Assuming you spun off Elk Valley, net debt free, which coal companies have to be in this day and age, you'd have a business with over, a tech mill would have over 4 billion of net debt. And let's think about the portfolio. QB2 has project debt, project finance, amortization, and value accretive expansion capital opportunities. Antamina is going to have some CapEx in the next five to 10 years. Red Dog is very nice, but then you kind of go out beyond that. Well, you need to build San Nicolas, Zafranal, Galore Creek sometime in the next 10 years. There's a lot of capital required. So Tech Metals needs the free cash flow of the coal business to fund its full growth potential. And that and why is EVR happening? Because there isn't a check out there, with the exception of maybe Glencore, who can pay for the Coke and Coal business today what it's worth, which eight billion was the number, eight point two billion was the fairness opinion. And Glencore has now said if a tech shareholder doesn't want shares in Colco, Glencore's happy to pay them cash. So there's an issue of tech wants to improve their ESG score by improving the E, which separating from coal, even though tech believes in the great future of steel making coal, great, that's very positive for the E. Announcing the uh, dual share class sunset in six years, 
That's very positive for the G. And what's brilliant about this Glencore move, Glencore has literally shown up with a deal that Class B shareholders, as the market shows, loves. No matter what they may say publicly on the record, the market's telling you they like it. And basically daring Mr. Keevil to do the most corporate governance unfriendly thing possible and say, with my 1% economics, I'm going to kill this deal. Well, funny thing about multiplication, Trevor, is a score of three factors is the multiplication of those factors. And if I have 100 ESG, 100E, 100S, but zero G, what's my ESG score? It's zero. How can anyone who believes in ESG own tech resources, tech metals, if the governance is going to be like this until the dual share class structure is gone? We'll actually get in the event that that's how this goes, we're going to see how much ESG really matters uh, to people. So that's why I think Glencore's made a brilliant move at the right time, even though this has clearly been something they talked about in 2020 between the two companies. Why? So go back and, and, and kind of open that up a little bit, because that would be, that's interesting. Well, it's clear that these companies were talking about this in 2020, both Tech pulled out in their presentation on Monday synergy figures that Glencore came up with from the 2020 discussion. And Glencore is open in their letter that this is an ongoing dialogue informally that has been going on. As I mean, I think it's fair to say all these companies have informal uh, pie in the sky ideas or thoughts about how they could work together or what could be potential down the road. But these are these are complicated deals. And the stars have to align for things to happen. I think a good example of that is, uh, look, we saw Casarones, well rumored to have been on the block, sales block for the last four or five years. But only now does Lendine Mining buy it with a path to majority stake and control. But there you have, similar to, as Glencore alluded to, with QB2 and Coalossi having potential synergies, you have a deal in mining, and that's why Glencore Tech also makes a lot of sense, where as you unlock the full mineral potential of some of these world-class districts, the ability to share infrastructure and optimize um, so you don't have duplicative CapEx and you can plan things in a more coordinated fashion are just going to be massively MTV accretive no matter what the copper price is. There are deals that just make sense. And so you're seeing deals now that should happen. I think we we should maybe address the other side of this koala. Sure. And 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 really talk about I don't know if optics is the right word here, but if if this deal if a deal between Glencore and Tech does go through, I mean that basically Glencore eats up Canada's largest miner in a country that prides itself on its resource development. Now, I, I can understand if, if you if, if 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 Canada as a country has this long tradition and pride of resource development, why is there only one massive miner left on the block? But you know, I'm just kind of you know, it, I guess it's, it does seem I can get the I can get the sense that pride is maybe getting in the way of good business here. I would say there's a component here that if the if Glentech, even if it's dual listed in Canada, if it's not part of the index, 
there are fund managers who are selfishly going to say, if it's not in my index, I have no interest in action. I have no uh, rationale to cover it or be involved in it because it's not part of my benchmark. Um, so you're losing a major index component potentially. But if we actually think, I was thinking about this over the past week. I mean, Sudbury, what, what are the big base industrial metal businesses in Canada? Um, Sudbury is owned by Vale and Glencore. The Labrador Trough is owned by Iron Company of Canada, which is majority owned by Rio Tinto. And ArcelorMittal Canada, I mean, Bloom Lake is the one Canadian-owned entity in the Labrador Trough. So what is there that, and I'd say Cameco, though Cameco is a Canadian company. But I see a lot of Canadian listed companies, but what I also see is a lot of the Canadian assets are owned by other, by, by non-Canadian companies that are in Canada. Now, I glibly tweeted that how Highland Valley's EBITDA for tech um, doesn't really stand up to Glencore Canada base metal EBITDA when you consider the integrated nickel operations, um, and then you consider Viterra. Um, you just and there's a little North American zinc too. So the Elk Valley is a very important asset, but I think you can see in Glencore's messaging they want the industrial Glen Tech business to be based out of Toronto or Vancouver. The industrial, the mining business of Glen Tech would be headquartered in Canada. And I think you can see in the Glencore letter, they are open to discussion on several of the soft issues here um, because they see the merits of this deal. Um, what is, let's just call it Glencoal going to be? I mean, look, that's a Canadian or Australian business. And at the end of the day, I mean, when you think about where most of the PL is going to come from, depending on what your Coca Cola price or your thermal coal price is, that business is going to is going to be centralized around Eastern Australia and um, Vancouver. Um, the, but there is, look, I, I totally respect that there's um, national pride and ego considerations here. But the tech metal, the, the tech metals business is not a Canadian business. It's only asset of I would say major relevance if we set the trail smelter to the side is Highland Valley and then a bunch of greenfields in the Golden Triangle. And I think it's very surprising to hear this national pride point, um, which if I was a populist in Peru or Chile, I would be listening very carefully and smiling, mm. hearing about mm. how countries should control their own resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't think we've seen the last offer, the final offer? Uh, I don't and, believe. Yeah, uh, it's interesting here because uh, Glencore even sweetened the bid by another eight billion dollars. Um, you know what? Well, what do you? Th- to sorry. be clear, that that eight is to say to tech shareholders: if you don't want a share of the coal company, if thermal coal is really that revolting to you. Instead of giving you shares in Colco, we will give you cash. 
in a sense of we will value the business at eight billion. So thing out loud, eight point two billion, which is the high end of the fairness opinion, and ties up with the implied eleven point billion CAD from the Japan transaction into Elk Valley. That's Glencore saying, we'll put a mark on this of eight point two. If half of tech shareholders want cash instead of a share of Colco, well, eight point two divided by two is four point one. We'll give those guys the cash instead of a share of uh, Colco. So you can see when they're thinking these things through. So where's the breakthrough going to come from? I mean, if you're look, you're watching this very closely. Do you see an op- windows of opportunity opening up here after this second offer? I think we're going to see an improved offer from Glencore before the vote. Uh, the vote on Elk Valley closes April 23rd if tech does not postpone the meeting. I think if we see a meeting postponement, it's going to indicate that the Class B shareholders have are not we're not even close to approving the Elk Valley spinoff. And you'll see aggressive lobbying. And there's going to have to be, at some point, a conversation of, What's the number? And pushing forward, but I mean, yeah, Norm could Norm Keevil, Norman Keevil could be crazy enough to torpedo this whole thing. But does he want that to be his legacy? And I think at some point, um, trusted advisors are going to have to say he has a choice. He can be the man who got Glencore to pay a phenomenal premium using Glencore stock so the upside of the cycle continues for tech shareholders. He could get a phenomenal premium, be the person who got the better of Glencore, maybe didn't get Glencore to overpay, but got Glencore to pay a full value. Uh, Or he's going to do one of the most corporate governance negative actions we have seen in the ESG era. What does he want his legacy to be? And from looking at where the stock's trading relative to the Glencore offer, I don't think the Class B shareholders are going to approve Elk Valley. I did not vote for the Elk Valley spinoff. I did vote for the dual share class sunset in six years. And those are independent per the news release, not dependent on each other uh, proposals. Uh, how do you vote from the eucalyptus tree? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently they let marsupials vote in uh, corporate. <laughs> uh, Koala, I, God, I was just like this conversation. I just remo- like, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a curveball here. Like the first half of this week, I was like scraping really hard to basically continue to do my job. Like I was just kind of like, things are really slow. Sentiment's still poor despite gold and all the metal is doing really well. I was like, but I think in this conversation, I have renewed faith in why, God damn, I love this business. Yeah. Well, think about how amazing this Glen tech business would be. Uh, You heard me talk about how tech secretly kind of needs the Coke and coal cash flows. Yeah. 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 On the growth profiles. Well, if you actually think about the combined platform, this is where Glencore does have this right. Um, the combined platform 
Um, if Colco has no net debt, well, the combined free cash flow and balance sheet of this business could, I think, still self-fund the growth potential and the growth options of Project Satellite plus El Pachon um, with some sort of capital return that looks kind of like Freeport's. Freeport, which is the go-to copper pure play, doesn't have a crazy dividend, but has a buyback in place for when the stock valuation just gets silly. Um, but let's everyone have a nice, clean exposure. And I just, you look at that, that will be the go-to name. I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing uh, business. And then, of course, I don't know, speculating out loud here, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Jonathan Price, CEO of Tech, ended up being CEO there. That could be something on the soft issues that could maybe help Norman get over the line. And then let's see, I think we can dream five, 10 years down the track if volley Base Metals ever gets listed in Canada. Um, all of a sudden, we finally have the, the three-headed Hydra that we always dreamed of. <laughs> and then we can wave the, Canadian, we'll wave the Canadian flag for saying volley Base Metals should be Canadian hands. Well, and I was also, I mean, I wonder if how Freeport's kind of watching this and if they are, you know, they do a lot of JV type of work and exploration, but, you know, I wonder if they're starting to think about jumping into the acquisition boat and finding Freeport, opportunities. Freeport's in a very unique spot because first, and I haven't gone and looked at the fourth quarter report in multiple months, but Freeport has phenomenal amount of NOLs from their unfortunate foray into unconventional oil and gas, which makes the free cash flow of their North American business when copper's doing well, just absolutely phenomenal because you don't have brutal royalties. And if you don't have to pay cash taxes for a while, that just naturally goes to the bottom line. I mean, so if you're Freeport, if you think about the Freeport business, it's Grassberg, which is an amazing asset where they're using the free cash flow to fund the build of Kusing Lair, a new mine in the district. And you have Cerro Verde in Peru, an amazing world-class mine. El Abra, which in Chile is going to need some sort of block cave to access the sulfites. But when you look around, optimizing the brownfields, maybe doing the Lone Star sulfides, um, there's just a lot of stuff they can do in Arizona. But what Freeport does have that is very unique when they want to use it, is they are a U.S. miner. If they want to, say, go back to the DRC, they used to own Tenki Fungarumi. If they want to go to a jurisdiction, they, I mean, John McCain was very close, given Freeport is based in Arizona, uh, with Freeport. And, you know, there's something nice about having Washington, D.C. <laughs> being able, whether it's Foggy Bottom or Langley or just a U.S. senator being able to call uh, your landlord in a foreign jurisdiction and say, all right, there's a line here. I think Freeport's one of the few companies that could really go do something bold, but given their situation in Arizona and all the opportunities they have there, I don't think they're in a rush. Yeah, Why would they right. be? You might be right. That, and boy, what a... What a relief, I would think, you know, if that certainly is the case. Uh, Koala, thanks so much, man. We're going to do, we're going to connect again in uh, probably mid-spring here. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's look at maybe next month or maybe even early June and 
we'll see how the all this dust kind of settles and talk bigger picture M&A. We never even talked. We haven't talked to any of the gold M&A. We didn't even talk the Hud Bay Copper Mountain stuff that was announced this morning even. So I don't think we're done. There's going to be more news. Look, so. Passeronis gets announced. Lundin goes up. Glencore announces they're using stock to bid for tech. You didn't see Glencore down five. Glencore was like, Glencore Cheryl was looking and said, good idea. Makes sense. No one felt a rush to sell. And I, so, yeah, and I think it's very important to note that for CEOs, seeing the market not crucifying their peers for being bold and being creative means the green light is open. And I think it's going to be a really exciting thing to talk about because, look, balance sheets are lazy with optionality. Everyone says, oh, they're lazy, they're under lever. No, I view that as a lot of optionality. The problem with all that optionality, and I think something we will talk about in a month or two, Trevor, is all these guys, especially Prosperumadino, they only want big, tangible assets. I probably heard me say this before, but it's not at least 5% of EBITDA. Get it out of the portfolio. I don't want to have to stress about it, think about it. It's not worth management's time. Well, there's only so many world-class, great assets and of scale, cost structure, and mine life. And also, there's even fewer that are not already controlled by these big mining companies, which means when you find one, it's really special really quickly. That's right. All right, that's Koala straight from the eucalyptus tree, everybody. Uh, and that's a wrap here. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning with the long-form episode with my conversation with Michael Howell. We're ending the week on a couple really good episodes and looking forward to airing these. All right, Koala, have yourself a good weekend. You too, Trevor. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.